them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hello, everyone, and welcome to the pilot episode of a brand new podcast, Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm one of those two co-hosts, Zachary Scott Johnson. My friend Meryl McNally and I met when we were in college about 15 years ago. We're both actors and bonded over, of all things, her name, Meryl. We're both longtime fans of the legendary Meryl Streep and have enjoyed watching her work and discussing it. A little over a year ago, I had an idea for a podcast where we would try to watch or rewatch every Meryl Streep movie and record our conversations about them. I listened to a lot of podcasts, many of them on the subject of movies, and thought we could be the first podcast to discuss Meryl Streep. Meryl McNally and I live in different states, so when we first recorded an episode a little over a year ago, the quality just wasn't usable. I then started another podcast that I still do, called the Joni Mitchell Podcast, where I talk to a different guest each episode on a Joni Mitchell record. For that podcast, I record in person with people. Meryl and I speak on the phone to record ours. The quality isn't perfect still for two independent podcasters, but technology has caught up with us enough to try again. So, here we go. We're going to make our way through Meryl Streep's film and TV roles, one episode at a time. Today, we speak more broadly about Meryl's work to ease us in. We're also going to feature episodes on our other favorite actors and actresses, our favorite directors, writers, composers. This podcast is also two friends who've been mostly out of touch in the years between college and now, reconnecting. We're looking forward to it and are happy that you've considered joining us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at MeryllStreetPodcast at gmail.com. Not the Meryl Street Podcast, just... Meryl Streep Podcast at gmail.com. Meryl McNally is an actress and a lawyer in New Mexico. I'm a singer-songwriter and an actor in Minnesota. I invite you to check out that other podcast that I do, the Joni Mitchell Podcast, as well as my YouTube channel, The Song A Day Project, where I record a song a day every day. It's run for over 1,500 consecutive days, which is over four years with no missed days. It's The Song A Day Project, all one word squished together. I'm usually on tour, and I might be playing near you soon. My website is www.zacharyscottjohnson.com. That's Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-S-C-O-T. There's only one T in Scott, and Johnson is J-O-H-N-S-O-N. ZacharyScottJohnson.com. We hope you enjoy our first episode. We've been planning for it for a long time, and uh, we're excited that no one beat us to this idea. Here's episode one. Uh, Yeah, how are you doing, Meryl? We're starting now. <laughs> I'm good, Zach. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So we're finally starting our Meryl Street podcast. We've been talking about I this know, for a really long time. Right, long time in the making. <laughs> it and I actually just went through some messages. Um, it, we recorded this exact episode. We're redoing it today. <laughs> Something we did like a year ago. <laughs> Which is good because it was long first, enough ago that neither of us can really remember it. So it's right. Not like if, at first you don't succeed, try try again. Yeah. So here's what happened. I had this idea. I, I, you know all of this, but for anybody who's listening to this, um, I have right. this idea to do a podcast on Meryl Streep, and um, I'm a singer songwriter and an actor, and so I I don't have a day job, and so I I 
like watch a lot of movies <laughs> during the day, and I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm driving around from from show to show. And so those two things, I was like, I I want to do a podcast. I want it to be about Meryl Streep because she's you know the, my favorite actor actress. And um, you were of course the first person that I thought to, <laughs> to host it with me because that's how you and I bonded. That was how you and I like became friends. With I Meryl know. Street. So do you want to tell that story? Okay. So. Zach and I went to Lawrence University in Wisconsin, and we were both theater majors, and um, I, I was a little, I think I'm a class or two above you, but I went yeah. to my first my first show audition, and I, I didn't know anybody in the theater department, and I was sitting nervously waiting to go in and do my monologue, and there was a, there, there was a, a, a senior in the foyer with me, and she introduced herself really friendly. Her name was Anna, and she's actually a really good friend of both of ours now. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, there was a, another guy there, and and he said he said, "What's your name?" I said, "Oh, my name's Meryl." And he goes, "Oh, like, like Merrill Lynch?" And I sort of absentmindedly was like, "Well, no, that's not the right spelling. It's more like Meryl Streep." And so I said out loud, "No, Meryl as in Meryl Streep." And <laughs> Anna, who was a complete stranger to me at the time, was like, "Oh, snap, burn." <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully she knew the other guy. <laughs> she did. She she did, and of course he was like, "Oh well, excuse me." And I, of course, was mortified because that's not how I meant it at all. It right. sort of escaped me that we were sitting outside of an audition, you yeah. know, as actors. I was purely thinking about spelling, but yeah. So I was actually named after Meryl Streep. Um, my spelling's a little bit different. There's no, um, right. mine's M A R Y L, but. Um, uh, she was one of my mom's favorites, still is, and so <laughs> that was one of my first interactions at the Lawrence University Theater. <laughs> well, that's good. And then, so like you said, you're uh, a year, I think just a year older than me, and probably we're about yeah. the same age. It's just I'm, I was young for my class, and um, or no, I was old for my class, rather. And um, so I'm not sure what show, I'm pretty sure what happened, as best I can remember, was you were in a show, and... Um, I wasn't because I was I was brand new and uh I think I just introduced myself to you and said, um, you know, your name is Meryl. My favorite actress is Meryl. We're both theater majors, we should be friends and as odd as a you know, like introduction as that is, I think it worked for us. Something like that. Oh my sure god. Exactly I remember that. that. You're so right. What show was that? I don't know. And oh, the other one the other one that always gets me, but it's not chronologically possible because by this point we were good friends, but there was, I remember seeing you in, in many performances, but I remember being very struck by your performance in um, the Shakespeare one. What is the one with the bear? Winter's Tale? Oh, Winter's Tale, yes. Yeah, because I'm, if, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly, because you had to make an entrance, um, <laughs> like in the midst of a breakdown. Am I getting yes, this right? Is I that did. the right show? And that yeah. struck me as being really hard to do. I just remember being like, wow, I can't believe that would be really hard to like, you know, you don't have the, um, you don't have the adrenaline, not adrenaline, but you don't have the momentum of the scene going for you. You have to do it all on your own and like come into it like that, which is a different kind of acting and a different kind of prep. And, and so I remember just being really, that was 
really one of those moments where I looked at you as a friend and was like, holy crap, like that was really <laughs> something, you know. Oh, that's, well, not to get too off topic, but, but to, to actually prepare to go on, there used to be a group of um, other, um, other castmates who would like gather around in a semicircle and watch me <laughs> rev up before I went on stage. Like I had a little audience backstage. They were like, we got to go watch Meryl. Get ready to go on. Yeah, and it was like a five-second deal. I, I maybe I took like maybe 15 seconds to kind of rev up before I went on. And mm. I would have a little audience backstage. And you were cool with that? Me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, because honestly, it was like, um, it was like this weird um, – it, it was like this sort of weird physical dance I would do. Like I would just sort of shake it out to the point where I was almost like jumping in, in place just to kind of loosen everything up so that when I went out, I was, <laughs> and so I wasn't really, I was prepping, like I was concentrated. It didn't really matter. It was kind of comical, but yeah, no, it didn't bother me. <laughs> I had to do that later on at Lawrence. It was after you had already graduated. We did, we did a show called Our Country's Good where I, like, my character started to have kind of a mental unraveling towards the end of the first act and by the start of the second act was kind of completely unhinged. And so I isolated myself during intermission. I wouldn't talk to the, I wouldn't talk to the other people just during the performances. I wasn't a weirdo and did that during rehearsals, too. I wasn't like one of those, like, I'm just, you have to call me by the character name or anything like that. But I just felt like I, you know, it was really hard for me to, like, start that process and then go back to, like, being upbeat and just hanging out and then, you know, go further into the process. And so, like, the only way yeah. I could really think to do it was, like, remove myself from any distractions and just, but I felt like I got a lot of judgment from peers for doing that. So I'm not sure. I guess mine was very internal and yours was kind of external because you kind of just let people in on the process and I just like refused to let anybody else into my process. Well, what's funny is that for me, I was I was sort of doing what you were doing in that that I was mentally removed. I didn't talk to anybody backstage while I was mm-hmm. sort of doing that. Um, they would just sort of come to spectate. But I was so sort of concentrated on what I was doing that that, you know, having people present didn't necessarily bother me. But so I yeah. completely understand that idea of sort of isolating yourself and set, setting yourself aside. And I, you know, we were doing college theater. And so I look at somebody like, um, you know, Meryl Streep, Viola Davis, Kate Blanchett, these wonderful actresses who really just, just you know, bring a character, you know, fully to life, like fully inhabit that night. I just it blows my mind. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. even I couldn't even begin. <laughs> it, it's yeah, it, and on a film set, it's again completely different from being in a again like a full length play where there's momentum to it and there's you know in right. a film it's all shot out of order. There's you know it's quick. You, you know you you do like a page maybe. Uh, you know you don't get long chunks of it. So there's just so much more to think about. And having to do it over and over again yeah, in some cases. Yeah. yeah. So let's give a little context. I already kind of talked a few things about myself. Um, so you are a great actress, but you're not doing much acting these days. You've you've gone in a different direction a little bit with your life. Yeah. You know, I should have known by my name that I was not meant to be a professional actress. There can only be one Meryl. <laughs> 
Um, I actually went to, I worked in film for a while and behind the camera and then I went Mm -hmm. to law school and I'm now an attorney in New Mexico. But, um, I also recently started, um, my own theater company with about 10 other people in, in New Mexico. And, um, you know, it's, it's focused on theater education for kids, but, um, I, I really adore the business side of it. Really? Uh, yeah, I really uh, do. I love. I obviously still love the creative side and get so much fulfillment from that. But but adding the business factor in really takes it to an entirely other level that completely surprises me. I would have never have dreamed, fifteen years ago, you and I in college, if you had told me that I was going to be doing this and loving it. I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, good for you. I'm glad that 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 is like you found you know, two different things to do that, like, you know, fulfill you. That's good. Yeah, balance. Balance is good. Balance is good. So we, uh, just, again, to give context for the listener, we talk, we mentioned the fact that we recorded an episode of this a little over a year ago. Yeah. Um, was it that I long? Had this, yeah, it was. It was a little over a year ago. It was November of 2015. Um, Holy moly. Yeah. So what had happened, I, we kind of got off track. I, I had this idea for this podcast and thought of you, of course, to co-host it. And uh, we did an episode, which we're basically redoing today, again, with, like, no real (laughs) memory of what we said the first time. (laughs) And um, I recorded it. We recorded it long distance because, as you mentioned, you live in New Mexico. I live in Minnesota. And so we were doing it long distance, and the technology uh, back then was not working in a way that it, it didn't come out very well. It didn't come out in a way that I thought was usable that anybody would want to listen to. But now technology has caught up to us, or maybe I've just found new technology, (laughs) and we can do it again, and it should be good. Um, So a few things have happened in in that year. Uh, Meryl is now, of course, kind of in award contention again. And I say, since Golden Globes are tomorrow, let's start there, because there's a couple of interesting things going on. Um, First of all, she's the recipient of the Cecil B. DeMille Award this year, which is is she really? How do I yep. not know this? I can't believe I I'm doing did. a Meryl Streep podcast and I didn't. Maybe I did. It's been it's been, it's been an interesting I, couple of months. When you and I started like talking about okay, can we restart this? One of us sent the other the article. I think I might have sent it to you saying that she was the, receiving it. Yeah, but there isn't much known about it. It's one of those things that like you know some years I think they announce it's going to be presented by. I feel like when Jodie Foster won it a couple of years ago, I feel like we knew mm-hmm. it was going to be presented by Robert Downey Jr. But I, I might be wrong about that. Maybe it's always a surprise. But last year, Denzel Washington got it, and Tom Hanks presented it to him. And I think that was like a surprise. You know, nobody really knew who was going to give it to him. So I don't know who's presenting it to her. I don't know much else about it except that she's getting it tomorrow. So but, I'm so excited. Yeah. And um, she's also nominated for uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. She's up against uh, – so the Golden Globes, as you know, has – you know, lead actress in a comedy or musical and lead actress in a drama. Right. So the the nominees are a little bit different than it might become Oscar time. So she's up against uh, Annette Benning for 20th Century Women, uh, Lily Which Collins. I really want to see. Yeah, I do too. Uh, she's up against Lily Collins for Rules Don't Apply, which is Warren Beatty's uh, mm-hmm. newest movie. 
uh, Hallie Steinfeld okay. for a movie called Edge of Seventeen, and Emma Stone for La La Land. And I think she's kind of predicted to be the winner. Emma Stone is, yeah. is most likely to walk away with that. Um, so, yeah, how do you feel about that? that uh, that's an it's an that's an interesting mix. It is, isn't it? I mean, so you have your you have your seasoned. Yep. Yeah, you have your seasoned, you know, brilliant actresses and sort of the young up and comers who are equally, you know, equally lovely. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, the Golden Globes fascinate me. Also, Meryl Streep's nominating history fascinates me. Um, oh, it does. She's the most nominated. Yeah, and she really doesn't give a bad performance at this point, so it doesn't surprise me that every year she has a nomination. And I mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but um, I, I think she's unique in this. But you would think people would get sort of irritated over time. Oh, yeah, the the the, the standard nod for Meryl no matter what. But honestly, her performances are so whether the film is great or not, that mm-hmm. I don't think anybody does that. I think everybody says, oh, yes, well, of course. Well, this is another actually kind of interesting – I have a I have a, a theory about this, actually. But okay. part, of it, it, part of it is some context for you and I and our ages because we're in our, let's just say, early 30s. <laughs> we're probably <laughs> mid-30s, but let's say early 30s. So um, okay. it's one of those – things where we're kind of looking at it without really having, like, we grew up with Meryl, we'll put it that way, but, you know, we weren't adults when she had that, like, long run of nominations in the 80s, for example. So I feel like when you and I became friends and really bonded over Meryl Streep, it was right around 2001, between, like, there and 2005 or so. So think, like, Devil Wears Prada, Adaptation, Mm -hmm. like that, The Hours, like that era of Meryl Streep. And I actually think around that time, there was a little bit of the, like, we're getting tired of Meryl Streep getting nominated all the time thing. I might be wrong about that, but I felt like there was a little bit of, like, her again. And then all of a sudden, like, she she started doing these movies that were pretty gigantic hits. The Devil Wears Prada, uh, uh, the Mamma Mia, a couple other ones that were, like, that really people fell in love with Meryl Streep again. And it's not right. that it's not that people didn't love her during that middle period, but I think there was this like you know when she was brand new, everybody thought she was fantastic, and then there was that middle period where she was certainly respected for her work, but it wasn't the kind of same. She, she did, yeah, she did a lot of um, she she did a lot of heavy work, um, right. You know, and I feel like right, yeah, right about when we met, I. And, and, you know, this is my perception of it, and obviously I have no idea what was going through her head, but it almost felt like she was starting to really enjoy her career and yep. and make choices on films that she could really just, you know, um, revel in and enjoy, like The Devil Wears Prada and, yep. and Adaptation. Yeah. I think she was maybe uh, kind of looking to diversify her career, maybe. I mean, that's what it looks like from the outside. Instead of doing so many dramas, she diversified a little bit and um, started doing things that were maybe risks in a certain way, but she maybe didn't feel like she had enough. Like, she kind of proved everything by that point, so maybe she didn't feel like she had too much to lose by taking on Mamma Mia, you know, uh, which maybe she wouldn't have done at a certain point in her career. But at that point, she was just looking to have a good time and, you know, have an enjoyable experience and and give people, you know, a fun movie experience. And also, there is something to be said for the idea of, like, what 
she's been offered through her career, too, because, you know, there was that middle period where, like, directors would fight for her. Bridges in Madison County, I think, is a good example of this. I just saw something mm-hmm. the other day about, like, the studio really didn't want her, and Clint Eastwood, like, fought for her. I think there was a little bit of that during that, like, middle period where, like, the directors really wanted her and insisted on her, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that that lovely ageism in in Hollywood. (laughs) So, anyway, yeah, so... The Golden Globes are coming up. It'll be kind of interesting. I My guess is they'll go with Emma Stone, like I said. She's also receiving the Cecil DeMille Award. So people, voters might go, well, she's for sure getting an award, you know. But she yeah. has been, she's the most, I, she's definitely the most nominated actor. Um, I don't know if there's, you know, a director or somebody with more nominations, but she's got 30 nominations and eight wins at the Golden Globes, which is kind of crazy. That is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. The the second most nominated. Do you take a guess? Who do you think is the second most nominated actor or actress in Golden Globes history? I'll give you a hint. It's not Jack Nicholson, who's like kind of the well known number two for the Oscars. Okay, um, and it's a and it's a man. I'm this one is a man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a clue. Who? Jack Lemmon. Really? Uh, I would yeah. have not guessed him in a million years. I would have said somebody like Denzel Washington, and then he said he's dead. Like, well, it's not Denzel. <laughs> yeah. Jack um, Lemmon wow. has 22 nominations and four wins. And one of the greatest, I uh, one of the greatest things that I ever saw on the Golden Globes. Golden Globes is one of the few award shows that I actually like really have a fondness for. I'm not really much of like I, I'll usually watch the Oscars, but you know I don't really care that much about it. But um, the Golden Globes is just kind of fun because I, I, I'm not it sure. Is. It's just like a fun show to watch. Well, they're all but, sitting down to dinner and they're all, you know, three sheets to the wind. And right. it's a little more relaxed. And, you know, that ballroom is actually quite small. It looks so ginormous on television, but it's really quite small. And so I think they just have a really good time. Yeah, yeah. What If you, if you or anybody listening wants to check it out, one of the greatest – things was many years ago, the actor uh, Ving Rhames was nominated for a Golden Globe, which he won for, for a TV movie playing, um, oh, playing Don King. Uh, I can't remember what the movie was mm. called, but he, he won and he beat Jack Lemmon, who was nominated for, I think, 12 Angry Men. They did a TV version of that. Yeah, so, I remember that. And Ving Rhames, in his speech, called Jack Lemmon up to the stage and gave him the award. He said, you know, something like, to me, acting is about giving, and I want to give this award to you. And, like, just handed him the award and, like, took a step back what? and, like, give this speech. And the place went nuts. You know, there were people crying, and Jack Lemmon didn't know what to do because now he was accepting an award he hadn't won that he had just lost, <laughs> actually. You know? It's I mean, like, so what sweet, a, but so awkward. <laughs> yeah. I bet it really did, it, because of his, like, you could tell Ving Rhames was just overcome with emotion. It really did come across as genuine. It was, I thought it was an awesome moment. But, like, it's like you it's also like felt... It's like a much lovelier version of Kanye and Taylor. Oh, yes, yes, very much so. <laughs> 
But you could tell Jack Levin didn't know what to do, you know, how how to give, like, a speech for, again, something you just lost, you know. But at the same time, he was being acknowledged for, like, you know, the influence that he'd had. So it, it was just, it's kind of a really interesting moment. And that's the kind of stuff that happens at the Golden Globes that doesn't happen anywhere else. So I don't know. Um, and then fast forward, and shortly after that, I think at the end of the month, the Oscar nominations will come out. How are you feeling right. about uh, Meryl's chances this year for a nomination? I think if, if she's nominated, I think she's probably not likely to win. But um, how do you feel about the nomination possibility? She, she, she'd be in leading actress, yes. I don't yeah. know. Oh, I think it's a tough race. I think... I, I think Emma Stone and Natalie Portman probably have a lock in. Um, and I think Amy uh, probably Adams Annette Annette Benning. Benning too. Yep. Yeah. And I think Amy Adams yeah. too for Arrival. I think those four are yeah. locks. Yeah, and so there's that fifth spot. Who, who's it potentially going to go to? Um, I you know Viola Viola Davis is is um, I think she's nominated in supporting actress yeah. right for Golden she's Globe. She's going she's going supporting for the Oscars unless they do what they did like they they do this every once in a while they did this to Kate Blanc or Kate Winslet rather where she was trying to go. Uh, supporting actress for, I think, the reader. I think it was the one that she ended up winning, and they bumped her to leading actress. They were like, it's not a, it's not a supporting performance. So they can do that, but she, Viola Davis is chosen to go in the supporting category. Didn't Kate Winslet win two Golden Globes in the same year in two different categories? I feel like it was for the reader and something else. She ended up... You know, she had made two movies, and they happened to come out at the same time. Because I yeah. just saw an interview with her, and I can't remember what film it was. It was the one with Leonardo DiCaprio that was um, that was Revolutionary directed by her Road. husband. Yeah, that one. I don't think she won for Revolutionary War- Road. I could be wrong. I think she won for The Reader, but I think she won one of them. I think you're right that she was nominated on the the comedy and drama side, but I think she only won... Well, you know okay. what? Those are both... Those are both dramas, though. Yeah. I feel like she won. I wonder if it was in one of the TV categories. Um, yeah. I'm going I'm to look. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was kind of a, it was kind of an interesting year. That was one of the years that, like, everybody knew it was her year, basically. <laughs> you know? I mean, everybody knew this was Winslet's year. In the same way that, like, when uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman did Capote, everybody was like, it doesn't matter who the other four are. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman's year kind of thing. Right. Okay, so it's the reader. She won for the reader. She won for Revolutionary Road and the reader in the same year. How is that possible? I, oh, I bet she was supporting in one. She had and to lead be. in the other. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. quite a night for her. Yeah. I right? guess I don't I remember that. Yeah, that was. She was so. She was years. so lovely in the interview. <laughs> she was like, "I'm not gonna lie, it was amazing." <laughs> Yeah, it was truly fantastic. I'm not even going to pretend like it wasn't. <laughs> well, but it's kind of interesting too, though, if you think about her career since. Now, maybe she's you know consciously take, taken a step back. It's possible, but you don't hear as much about her since then. It's like one of those things where like it, this has happened a lot lately, where like people finally get their long overdue Oscar. In fact, Leonardo DiCaprio last year, it was that same thing that like mm-hmm. it's his year. It might not even be his best performance, but he's getting the award because, you know, it's more for his body of work than 
that specific movie. Same thing with Julianne Moore. There are just a million examples of this. But then with Kate Winslet, like you don't you don't see her as much. She's in movies still, but you don't. She hasn't really. Yeah, been you know, I think too. she's done she's done some really interesting things since then. Um, you know, she's I, I think too she's she's sort of diversifying. You know, she did yeah. um, the Steve Jobs movie, and then you know Which films like really Carnage and yep. Yeah, and then Mildred Pierce for TV, and yeah. um, she actually just made, um, well, I shouldn't say just, it was 2015, I think a really, really wonderful Australian film called The Baker. And it's like, um, it's like a, a spaghetti western with a sewing machine instead of guns. Really? What uh, is it's it called? Really offend- it's called The Dressmaker. Interesting. It's I haven't Aust- heard of that. It's an Australian film. It's with Judy Davis, and actually, Liam Hemsworth is in it. And really? surprisingly, he holds his own with Kate Winslet and Judy Davis. It's a really, it's a really lovely film. Hugo Weaving. Um, hmm. It was directed by Jocelyn Morehouse, and um, she. Uh, I'm trying to think. She did uh, an American Quilt. You remember that movie with Winona Ryder? I do. Yeah. Yes, I do remember that movie. Yeah, she, yeah, she did that, and then I think she was a producer on like Muriel's Wedding. Oh, okay. Really great Australian films, but yeah, I highly recommend it. It's a stellar movie and a really wonderful performance. Yeah, cool. I'll, I will yeah. look that up. Um, well, so like I said, I feel like those first Natalie Portman, Annette Bening, Amy Adams for Arrival. She's got a couple of good movies mm-hmm. out, but I think Arrival is the one she's getting kind of the most buzz for, and that's a great film too. Um, and Emma Stone are probably the four locks. And it's interesting, too, because a lot of people think it might lean towards Natalie Portman again. And it would be kind of interesting if it did, because Natalie Portman beat Annette Benning when Natalie won for Black Swan over um, Annette and the Kids Are All Right. right. That, was, that was one of those years where it was either going to go to, like, you know, Natalie had this really strong performance, but, it, you know, Annette Benning was also, like we were just talking about, kind of maybe nominated for, like, a long careers worth of work mm-hmm. and Natalie pulled it out so it'd be interesting if Natalie beat her which may be the case this year that Annette it finally takes it home I kind of hope it goes that way to tell you the truth out of the out of those four I kind of I, I haven't seen 20th Century Women but you know Annette Benning is just one of the great actors so you know as far as I'm concerned I kind of am I'm hoping for her I guess so I'm rooting it. for her yeah, that fifth slot, it, you know, and Meryl is certainly a possibility. There are a lot of people who think she could take that fifth slot. The other ones who are kind of, you know, considered potentials for that fifth slot are um, Isabel Huppert, who that she's up for a, a movie called L, which is supposed to be L? just incredible. Yeah, E-L-L-E. Yeah. Um, there's a young actress named Ruth Nega, who's in a movie called Loving that's supposed to be really good. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Probably the least likely, but still, you know, just on the cusp of it could happen, is uh, Jessica Chastain for a movie called Miss Sloan, which is, I think, uh, it's like an anti-gun movie, I think. I maybe shouldn't say that without knowing, but I think that's right. You know, it's, yeah, it's so sad. I live in, I live in, well, it's not sad, it's lovely, but I live in a very small town in New Mexico. We do not get film distribution here. I get to the oh, Avengers. Right. And um, um, and the Avengers, Star Wars. I guess Star Wars. So um, you and know, you get to pick I, between I, those two. 
Yeah, yeah. I, get, I accumulate this long list of wonderful films I want to see every year. And, uh-huh. and you know, I with my busy schedule, I get to see maybe three or four, and then the list keeps getting longer and longer. Right. There's so many films this year, Nocturnal Animals, Florence Jenkins. I, I, I know. Haven't, I haven't seen that. Um, so you haven't seen Florence Jenkins Oh, yeah, the list Jenkins, yeah. Loving L. What? So you haven't seen Florence Fox. Florence Foster I haven't. I, oh, okay. I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, it uh, it did come here. I think that was one of the few that did come here, and I just didn't make it to the theater. But it, it's. I think it's now out for rent, so it'll be it on is. our yeah. – well, it'll be a film we visit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good. I liked it. It. Um, yeah? All around, I think it's it's good. It was maybe not quite what I was expecting. But, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it in depth when we get to that one. I think it's certainly in a awards movie role. You know, it's worthy of that. So I, I think it was great. Um, yeah, no, I'm similar to you. I don't see a ton of things in the movie theater. I go as often as I can, but it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to get away sometimes, I think, and, like, just carve out yeah. two hours to go to the movie. I live in a small town, so, you know, it's not crazy, but like, you know, you even have to drive a half hour to get to the movie theater, which isn't much when you think about it, but I don't know. It's also January in Minnesota, so the idea of like leaving the house when you don't have to is not (laughs) Right. I don't know. Well, and and now too, with with all of the access you have at home, um, I'm more inclined to to wait uh, and watch from the comfort of my my house. Yeah, I am too. I'm a big... um, one of my like dirty little secrets in life is that I have a, a really what, insane DVD collection. I buy just tons and tons of movies. It's really Do you? What a, oh, it's insane. I it like takes up an entire room of my house. It's 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 really like kind of sick in its own way. But I see basically everything that comes out. I mean, I I own I ha, I don't own Florence Foster Jenkins. I I got it when it came out at the library, and I'll buy it when it's. it's cheaper than it is on, you know, the first few weeks. But I I yeah, I see pretty much everything that comes out. It's kinda of cuckoo. Do you still buy DVDs even with like iTunes and streaming and all that? I do. I do. There's something about I know it would be easier to to go the digital route and I'm sure it will get to the point where that is the way of the world. But I like DVDs. Um there's something about like, I do too. Yeah, there's something about having it. It's like I'm the same way with vinyl records or CDs. You can get it digital, but I like, you know, opening it up and, like, seeing who the players are and, you know, all of that stuff. So, I don't know. It's just personal preference. Yeah. But anyway, so let's get to some of these uh, questions here. Let's do it. Uh, so do you remember your first Meryl Streep movie? What was the What was the first Meryl Streep movie you remember seeing ever? Uh, it was actually it, it was actually Kramer versus Kramer, uh. and which is and and we're talking. I mean, I was little. I, I, my mom was watching it, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I grew up on a ranch, and we didn't have cable, um, and we had a video disc player. I'm aging myself here a little bit. Early '80s, a video disc player. You know, it was like a record inside this giant case, and you would slide the case in the machine, and the case would come out, and the the film on this record would stay in the player. And my mom owned Kramer versus Kramer and, and that's the first that's my first exposure to Meryl Street. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's a great place yeah, which to is, start. Right? Uh, you know what's amazing to me now looking back is that 
you know, I was like five or under, and I remember, I, I remember watching it, and and you know, certain scenes stick with you. You know, when the kid falls off of the jungle gym and and mm-hmm. and cuts his head open, and and her leaving and coming back. And um, what's amazing to me is that even at the time, I, you know, when you're you're little and you see, you see a on screen, you see a parent leave their child. Right. You know, kids don't really discern the emotional gray area of that, right? They just see a parent leaving their child. I can remember even being little, watching her, knowing that it wasn't because she didn't love him. I mean, that's how good her performance was. A five-year-old was sitting there and not blaming her. Right. <laughs> right? I was sitting there going, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's complex, and I think a lot of that, you know, I we actually were just talking a little bit before we started recording all this about that movie, actually, and um, I, I hope we get to that one relatively soon. I think there's a lot there in that movie, and I think a lot of it, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, this podcast, obviously, we have a whole podcast here about Meryl Streep, but, so obviously we're a fan, we're fans, but, um, oh, yeah. you know, I think there's more that she brought to that movie than than really anybody else could have. You know, I mean, like, there there are a lot of stories oh, yeah. about how she rewrote some of the stuff and, like, you know, really fought for her character to have some humanity. My guess is it was probably a relatively underwritten part until she came on board, you know, and, and kind of yeah. insisted on a few things. Yeah, yeah, I think she... I I, I think you can, can hold her at least partially, if not entirely, responsible for the reason why that film has has stuck over right. the years because, because you know she created a three-dimensional you know a fully de- fully developed human being yeah and i don't think the movie yeah. works as well if you don't understand why she leaves you know and i i really right. think that there has to be it has to be complicated for that yeah. to work it, it affects what dustin hoffman's character does throughout the film too but well, my uh, first Meryl Streep movie that I remember seeing, I'm guessing I saw other ones before this, but the first one that I remember seeing in the theater actually was um, The River Wild, which was like mid-early 90s, something like that. And a very Oh, wow. Yeah, a very different Meryl movie from really anything else she's ever done. It's like Meryl Streep is a badass action. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really, uh, I I really unabashedly love that movie. <laughs> I do too. It's underrated. It's really underrated, actually. I think she's. Really I actually good just at rewatched it. it maybe last week, having nothing to do with this podcast. Right. I just was flipping through, <laughs> flipping through Amazon. I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to watch The River Wild, and I enjoyed it as much last week as I did when I first saw it in the '90s. <laughs> Well, and it is one of those, you know, now the the hard part about, like, watching movies now that were made in the 90s were there have been so many, like, technological advances that a lot of movies haven't aged particularly well. But The River Wild yeah. completely does because none of those it technological elements are important in the movie. Maybe cell phones would have changed things, but, you know, I don't know. There's something about it that doesn't feel dragged down to me by the fact that it's an early 90s movie, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. It's absolutely true. It hold it definitely holds up. Um and I, I think you're right. Part of it has to do with the fact that they're in the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's not a lot of context. The context has stayed the same. Yeah. 
No, I remember seeing that movie. I remember being kind of taken to that movie. I had a, a good friend. He's still a good friend. And um, his, his one of his aunts used to love taking us to see movies in, like, bookstores and stuff. And, you know, like, that again, too. Yeah. Like, such a, looking back on it, what a great gift that is to, like, not only bring your nephew, but, like, your nephew's friend. She brought me, to you know, to see That's all so these cool. things. Yeah, it was great. And she was a big Meryl Streep fan. And so she was like, oh, we got to go see this Meryl Streep movie. And, of course... Me and my friend were like, no, who, what? Like, we didn't know anything about it, but, you know, we were totally <laughs> in. The movie was great. It appealed to, I would have been about, what, 12 or 13, and it appealed to me as much as any other movie. I thought it was great. So um, the next question that I have on my little list here, if you have questions, feel free to pipe in, too, but I know sure. I kind of was like, I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you. What kinds of movies, if any, we're talking about a really varied career at this point, but mm-hmm. has she made any, has she not made a certain kind of film that you'd like to see her do? Anything that she hasn't done yet that you want to see her take a stab at? Oh, gosh. I, rem- I remember we talked about this a little bit the last time we recorded. I don't, is there anything she hasn't done? I, wrote I feel down, like you zeroed in on something. Yeah, I wrote down a couple of different things because I obviously she's done a lot of drama and comedy and even musicals she's done a few of. Thriller mm-hmm. she's done with The River Wild and Venturing Candidate. She did a Western with The Homesman. She did a fantasy oh, yeah. with The Giver. She did an epic with Out of Africa. She's even done sci-fi a little bit. She was the, one of the voices in that Steven Spielberg movie AI, that artificial intelligence oh, yeah. movie. That That maybe is a, you know, that maybe doesn't count, so maybe sci-fi, but even Gibber horror? is considered sci-fi. Horror is the one, yes. So horror is the yeah. one she is, she's never done. She's made, she's never really done, like, an action movie. It, like, The River Wild is as close as it's gotten to an action movie. So those are the two things that, like, you know, the missing categories. But those also feel like conscious choices to me a little bit, too. Um, I would pay good amounts of money to see Meryl Streep now in an action film because I I would she too. would be amazing and it would absolutely break the mold. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the example yeah. we used last time was Helen Mirren did those Red movies. She did Red and then Red Two, right. and you know that I don't know. Yeah, Meryl Streep could totally do an action movie. I I don't see why yeah. not. The other thing that I remember pitching to you, and I remember even saying to you, I don't think you're going to like this idea. And, of course, when I said it, you're like, I love that idea. <laughs> the, the one thing she hadn't really done, um, but she's about to, actually, is a TV series. Um, she, you know, I was saying, well, Glenn Close got maybe the best role she's ever had in uh, Damages and, you know, That's Kevin Spacey brilliant. and House of Cards. Everybody's moving to TV. Now Robert De Niro yeah. and Julianne Moore are about to do a, a pilot for Amazon. and all Are the they really? Are going to, yeah. David O. Russell um, is doing this thing for Amazon with Julia Moore and Robert De Niro. And have you heard this, that Meryl is doing um, a TV project? It's a miniseries, so it's not a series. It's like a limited thing with J.J. Abrams. Um, So that's huge right there. You know, Uh, J.J. Abrams is as big as it gets. Um, uh, One called The Knicks, which is based on a book that was, I guess, really huge this year. It's a a novel about this I think he's a, a professor of something at a at a college and then his mother who I assume is the Meryl Streep role gets kind of embroiled in this 
she's a hippie who I guess had long ago left, kind of abandoned her family, including this this kid who's now grown and is a professor. And she gets embroiled because she's this hippie, and she throws a rock at a at a conservative, a political candidate, like who's who's holding a rally. She holds she throws a oh. rock at, him. and so she's embroiled in this scandal. And it's like how it affects not only her but the whole family too. So that's all I know about it. That they oh. haven't really said much about it, but they're doing this limited series somewhere. I mean, they haven't even got. You know, it, we don't know if it's going to Netflix or HBO or anything like that. Right. It's, they're doing it and then selling it, I think, afterwards. So. Well, because I think the last time well, she did Angels in America, but that's right. been oh, that's been a long time. It's been yeah, ten years. Oh, I'm excited. Well, it's like, um, well, every you're right. Everyone is going to television. It's uh, be, because that's where, you know, that's where the meaty stuff is. It is. Um, especially in, in, in cable, but uh, is it called Big Little Lies? And if I got that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The one with Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, I mean, that cast is extraordinary. So. Yeah, and Laura Dern and Shailene Woodley, all these great people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, TV is very interesting right now. So I'm not surprised she's going there. I think, um, uh, you know, so many so many good actresses are. Yeah. Well, and it gives her an opportunity, you know, probably to uh, develop a, a character for a longer period of time and, you know, work on some really interesting meaty material, like you say. But also, you know, she probably has, I don't know, maybe this isn't true. I was going to say maybe she can work out a deal where she can, because she lives in Connecticut, so maybe she doesn't have to go to, like Florence Foster Jenkins, she had to go to London for, I mean, had to go to London, like if that's a chore, but... You know, like, have to leave home for a few months to shoot a film. All right. Know, if you're doing a series, you know, maybe maybe they do it in New York or something. You know, and she doesn't have to leave for so long or whatever. Yeah, a little more convenient, mm-hmm. a little more easy on you. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I'm looking forward to that. She's, yeah. Uh, she's phenomenal. Yeah. It should I'm be so good to have... talk about her. It's a little strange. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, it has been such a long time that we've been, like, you know, like talking about it, that now it's like okay, we're actually diving in. It's a it's a commitment to go back and and rewatch all these films. I I think I've seen everything that she's done except for there's one that I haven't seen, and that's a really big one actually. It's The Deer Hunter. I've never watched because I've never psyched oh. myself up for it. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. It helps. You know what? I didn't I didn't watch it for years. I watched it I think I was in college when I finally watched it. So it's been and I've I think I've seen it maybe once or twice since then. You know, the um I think the age of the film helped a little bit to sure. sort of distance myself from the content because it is sort of heavy. And mm-hmm. I also recommend that you have, you know, some sort of distraction on hand, like a game of solitaire, or sure. <laughs> so sort of detached in the middle of watching it because it's it's you know it's incredibly sad. She's uh, she's yeah. unbelievable in it, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, you have you beat me by a mile on Meryl Streep's films you have seen. I have not seen everything she's done, and I've missed some really big ones like Silkwood. Oh I mean, my I God, know, that's one of my favorites. Right? I mean. I know, I know of them, you know, I know her, 
her filmography very, very well, but there are so many I haven't actually seen, which is oh. a crime. So I'm very excited to do this no, because I get to visit some of her amazing work for the first time. Right. That's what I was just going to say. There's This is actually good for the podcast because if we were both just revisiting, I think there is something kind of interesting about that, but if you're also kind of experiencing some of these for the first time, too, I think that's maybe more interesting, too. It gives us more, it gives yeah. us another angle. So, no, yeah. I, I love the idea of, I mean, it's also a couple things. One, it's appreciating her work. And like we said off, you know, before we started recording, I'm interested in, in Meryl Streep, of course. She's the favorite. But I also, like, every four or five episodes, I think we're going to do an episode talking about somebody else. We'll do a whole episode on Kate Winslet or Kate Blanchett or, you know, yeah. Other people, Viola Davis, you know, talk about these actors and actresses and directors and, and writers, you know, and give them time to talk about, too. So, um, But, you know, so we've got all this stuff to get through, and it's partially that, but it's also kind of, you know, two friends reconnecting over Meryl Streep, too, <laughs> yeah. Sue and I haven't talked, you know, very much for for the, you know, 10 years it's been since we graduated college. So this is has that side of it too, you know, it'll be great. Yeah. So I'm so excited. I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. Um, do you have time? Can I ask you a couple more? Do you have to yeah. or anything? No, no, yeah. I am. I'm on board. I could talk about Meryl all day. I'm not weird. <laughs> I'm completely sane and well adjusted. <laughs> well, no, see, that's part of it though is, you know, I think, I, I don't think either of us is, like that kind of crazy super fan either. No. <laughs> no. I just I just watched an interview with Helena Bonham Carter and you know, her fans send her things and one of them sent her like the, the top it was something like the top twenty reasons why um the top twenty things Helena Bonham Carter has taught me. Ooh. And it was really sweet things like like, you know, to 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 feel confident in myself and in and and feel confident about being unique and really lovely things. And then, like, number 17 on the list was something like, um, you know, to be okay with my, my short, thick legs. Oh. <laughs> and, and she was like, I just don't know if that means that I have short, thick legs or if I've just made her feel better about having them. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm not that kind of fan. Yes, I've never sent Meryl Streep anything. Ever. No. No, nor don't am intend I. To. Not a letter, don't not intend anything. To. Nope. No. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're kind of in this topic, as long as we're talking about the Knicks, let's talk about um, these upcoming projects. She's got three in that little category on IMDb, the, like, in-development section. Um, mm-hmm. The Knicks is one of them, so we've already covered that one. Uh, let's talk about the other easiest one to talk about, which is one called Masterclass, which is uh, – uh, Another opera singer story, actually, much like Florence. Foster really? Williams. It's the story of Maria Callas. Yeah, it's a, it's a biopic. Oh, you know what? I've heard about that. I heard she was doing that. Well, here's the thing. We're not sure if she is, though, because this was supposed to happen quite a while ago now, and it was going to reunite her with Mike Nichols, who was going to direct it. And, of course, he oh. has since passed away. And uh, so it's been kind of, it's still in there. It's still listed as options. You know, it's not in pre-production or anything like that. Uh, so I don't know. They're, maybe they're waiting a respectful period of time to find another director and then they'll move on with it. Maybe it was like a Mike Nichols thing. And if he's not doing it with her, maybe she doesn't want to do it or, you know, I don't know. 
Um, it's a great piece. Have you ever seen the the play, Masterclass? Um, no, I haven't. It's it's a play. It's written by Terrence McNally, who wrote yes. Frankie and Johnny and the Claire Galoon, all sorts of great stuff. My my other um, namesake. Oh yeah, I didn't think of that. Terrence McNally. Oh wow, is there a relation there? I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe no. somewhere, not that I know of. But I yeah, sometimes you know it, was, it doesn't hurt to pretend. <laughs> yeah. I got to do Frankie and Johnny and the Clara de Lune when we were at Lawrence. It was after, again, you had left, but it was that's one of those, like, dream roles, but not one of the best theatrical productions I've ever been a part of. It's kind of a frustrating <laughs> experience, but it was a great role. Uh, but anyway, yeah. it's neither here nor there. I actually, okay, so the Mike Nichols thing, um, do you have Amazon Prime? I do. Oh, here's one thing I would recommend if you haven't seen it. If you... Go to if you search in the in the Prime videos, there's this American mm-hmm. Masters show, this documentary on Mike Nichols um, that I watched mm-hmm. earlier this week, and it is really good, really good. It was directed okay. by Elaine May, and it was it was put together before he died. You know, there's no there's no you know acknowledgement that he died or anything. So, and he's interviewed throughout the whole thing. So, okay. it must have been before he passed. But what was interesting in the context of this podcast was, you know, he goes through his career and talks about his different projects and, you know, some of them he has, he, he talks a lot about others he doesn't. And he starts to talk about Silkwood, which was the first movie he made with Meryl. And he starts to weep. I mean, just openly just weep. And he says, I don't think I can talk about Meryl. That was like the one thing that like, he was just really? so in awe of her and so just, Love you can tell just loves her so much that he just started to just weep and he couldn't talk about her and I thought boy that's a real deep connection wow. so that's, that's the part of me that is like I don't know maybe they're not going to do it because you know clearly there was a real strong connection between those two if I were in that situation I'd have a really hard time making it with somebody else you know oh yeah yeah I would be surprised I'd be surprised if it happened yeah. wow so well, anyway. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to I'm going to watch that. I'm a, I'm a massive really Mike Nichols fan, and yeah. yeah. And it was um, I think I might have said this a minute ago, but it's directed by Elaine May, who was of course his old comedy partner. So you know, like really, it's it's coming from a place of like you can tell it's it's really put together by the people who knew him. So, um, right. so the other the third project that is upcoming is in pre-production. We know it's happening. Do you know what it is? You heard about this one? It, it's Mary Poppins, right? Yes, Mary Poppins. Returns. I'm, I'm so yeah. excited she's doing it. So I am, of course, a Hamill fan. I jumped on the Hamilton bandwagon with the rest of the rest of the country, and I don't know if you got that or not. But um, uh, you know, I love Lin Manuel Miranda, and I love his story, and I love his talents, and and what I perceive to be his kindness. He just seems like a very generous soul. So when he yeah. jumped on board with Emily Blunt, I was very, very excited, and then, you know, Meryl Streep, it's like, what? Choir of Angels are singing. Yeah, it seems like a, a combination of people who, you know, when you hear sequel to Mary Poppins, I think maybe you think, not a good idea. Right, you, not a good but idea. Then you, but then you see the people that are involved, not just the people you mentioned, but Dick Van Dyke is returning. Right. Angela Lansbury's in it. Is she Which really? Oh my she gosh! She is. 
And actually, we'll come back to her in a second because there's another thing there. Colin Firth is in it, and Emily Mortimer's in it. You know, I mean, like, with this combination of people, it's going to be kind of impossible, I think, for a Oh, I see Ben Whishaw as well. Yeah. Um, So the the Angela Lansbury thing, though, is kind of interesting. You know that Angela Lansbury has actually been really critical of Meryl Streep over the years. Do you know this? Really? No. Yeah. I've never heard this before. Well... So I think what it stemmed from was Angela Lansbury was in the original Manchurian Candidate, and when they remade it, it was Meryl Streep who did that role. And so somebody Mm -hmm. at some interview asked her, you know, how do you feel about that? And it was kind of like years ago when I think it was Catherine Hepburn was asked, you know, how do you feel about Meryl Streep? And her response to it was click, click. And what that meant was Catherine Hepburn felt like she could – see the wheels turning in Meryl Streep's head, you know, she didn't, she was kind of critical of that. And Angela Lansbury was kind of critical too, saying that she didn't really like her acting style. Angela Lansbury's kind of really outspoken when she doesn't, she's, it's not just Meryl Streep that she's come out against. She's come out swinging against a few people over the years. She does not hold back when she, you know, thinks something is not a good idea. So uh, it'll be interesting. Angela Lansbury might be just a cameo, too. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure of any of that. But it's kind of interesting that they're both going to be in the movie because she's been a little Very. rude to Meryl over the years. So. But maybe maybe they fairy the hatchet. Well, maybe it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. <laughs> yeah. If at all. Yeah. Maybe they just don't encounter each other, and it's fine. So. Yeah. Um, so kind of keeping with the theme of upcoming projects, when we talked a little over a year ago, we talked about three other projects that have now disappeared. Um, Interesting. Yeah, none of them are listed on IMDb anymore. One of them was probably not actually ever going to happen because there's nothing else about it other than it was listed on IMDb for over a year, which was that she and Sissy Spacek were going to do a remake of uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Oh no, that it well, that is happening. But just not with Meryl? Well, uh, let me tell you that. It's not a remake. Um uh oh uh this Ryan Murphy. The, okay, that's what I was just gonna say. Is that what this is? Because I know that I they're doing that. It's just going and I think Susan Sarandon, isn't it? It's Susan Sarandon and who is playing is it Jessica Lane coming back? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is Jessica Lane. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I wonder if that was it originally, and it sort of Could. morphed, or or if it's you know just completely separate. Yeah, you know, it was just listed under you know whatever happened to Bailey Jane, like I said, under in development. And what was interesting was next to Meryl Streep's name and Sissy Spacek's name in parentheses, it just said rumored. So and like when, uh, you know, I thought that was really interesting, and then I looked it up on the internet to see if there was a mention of it anywhere else when we did this episode a year ago, and there was nothing. So I don't know how that gets on IMDb without, you know, some other source. But maybe it was never going to happen. But we talked kind of at length about that, actually. I remember it because we were going back and forth trying to decide if we thought it was a good idea or not. Well, it's amazing how easy it is to edit stuff on IMDb. I I could go on and edit my own. Like, I, I have a very tiny little profile on there from my work on on sunshine cleaning and and I, I mean I can go in and edit it so who knows 
Yeah, and I can edit mine too, but I mean, uh, that's the thing is like for one of the biggest movie stars in the world, for it to be sitting there for over a year without somebody going, that's yeah, without not a real thing. Yeah. I bet there was some know. grain. I'm sure it came from one of the trades, you know. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I love the idea of her and Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek is probably my number two behind her. I love Sissy Spacek. Love Sissy Spacek. I think she's just she's phenomenal. really good. Um, but I think I even said back then, um, you know, it seems like something that, like, I could see that whatever happened to Baby Jane with Jessica Lange and Glenn Close. I, or in Meryl Streep, too, actually. Sissy Spacek seemed a little bit funny casting to me. As much as I love her, I like that seems like Jessica Lange. I agree. Just boom, you know? And Glenn Close yeah. a little bit, too, so I don't know. Oh, Glenn Close, yeah. She would just bite into that, you know? Um, yeah, she she's really gifted at at that sort of manic <laughs> insanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to get to New York. She's doing um, Sunset Boulevard again this spring. Playing close. I heard that. I heard that. I'm really trying to get there because that's one of those like I I'm not a huge musical person actually. Mm-hmm. I'm just not really a big musical theater person. And um, Andrew Lloyd Webber is also like a subcategory of that, but. Sunset Boulevard, I've always had a soft spot for for some reason. I don't know. I just really like that piece. And flying close in it is just surreal. So that's, I'm hoping it. This is completely off subject, but I have to tell you this story. Um, so I, too, I, I grew up listening to, to Glenn Close and, and Alan Campbell's, you know, Broadway cast recording of Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm absolutely in love with Alan Campbell's voice. I, mm-hmm. It's magnificent. And, um, and, and you know, several other Broadway stars, um, Cherie Renee Scott in, in Aida and the Last Five Years. And um, so I, I went to New York with my mom in January of 2015. And we went to see some shows. And my mom, I had no interest in going to see it, but my mom really wanted to go see Mama Mia. So we went to go see Mamma Mia, and it was a very surreal experience. You know, most of the theaters in in New York and and you know on on Broadway, quote unquote, are are you know like the Belasco. They're very they're they're you know originate from like the 1920s, 30s, early 1900s. They're very ornate. This theater, I can't remember what theater I saw it at, but it was like rocking an 80s like blonde wood vibe. And the set was still its 90s gloriousness, late 90s mm-hmm. gloriousness. And the the cast was um, appeared to be aged blind. Like there were, you know, six-year-olds dancing in the chorus, right. um, which was that. really cool. Oh, it yeah. was so cool. And it was sort of shocking how shocking it was. Yeah. But... But um, the audience was filled. Um, I, I, I think we may have been like one of the few Americans in the audience. There was a a, a purely um, Eastern European and and Asian audience pool there, and very excited about ABBA. Very, and um, and it it had been running for so long that the actress playing the mom. I don't know if she was bored or what, but she sang every song behind the beat by almost a beat. 
Really? Yes. Holy cow. And then, and so it was this very sort of strange experience, and and there were these two little girls listening to some sort of podcast, hopefully not ours, um, behind us, like talking and laughing. And the the guy playing the, uh, for for people who don't know the stage show, the, the Pierce Brosnan character from the film, the guy playing that comes out and starts to sing. And I recognized his voice immediately. It's Alan Campbell. Oh, really? It's, it's Alan Campbell on stage. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't even recognize him. And uh, um, he sings. And then one of the friends comes out. It's basically the Christine Bransky part from, uh-huh. from the film. Um, she comes out and starts to sing, it's Cherie Renee Scott. Really? Yes. How is and, this possible? Right, so these these um these phenomenal Broadway stars from 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 my youth are on stage in front of me, and I just I had this sort of overwhelming foreboding. I was like, this is where Broadway stars go to die. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> it was it was so rough, Zach. <laughs> you can you, know, you can definitely edit this out of the podcast, but it was. I like, was just going to ask. It, I think it's interesting. Do you mind if I leave it in? No, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I I just had I was like, oh, this this makes me this the the show was so strange. It was a really surreal experience. You could oh, tell wow. they were going through the motions and just getting it done, and I just I, I my heart broke a little bit. That is, that's crazy. That almost sounds like what it, something that you know never happens. But like you know, when actors are in long runs, where you would be tempted, I would be tempted to like. You know, call somebody at the theater over. I'm going to do your part today. You play my part. We're going to switch today and like kind of see what happens. You know, that I mean, I, right? obviously that doesn't happen. But holy cow, that is bizarre. It was I bizarre. And the other way, that's right. I thought you were going to tell a story about how fantastic it was and how you weren't expecting it. No, no, it wasn't fantastic. I, I won't lie. It was pretty awful. It was, Did your mom it, like it? it? Uh, no, no, oh. no. It, it was it was a very strange. You know, my mom loved the movie so much, and everyone, everyone we know, you know from Roswell, when they go to like the big city, they see Mamma Mia, and everybody's loved it. And so it's kind of got a soft spot in my mom's heart. And so we went. Well, I didn't even bother to look at the cast list. I, I, I was just going for my mom, you know, to right. go see a show. And we're sitting in this like we're sitting in a 1980s time warp with, you know. Um, you know, a couple of Scandinavians behind me kicking the chair and, and giggling, and I'm, you know, listening to Alan Campbell and Sheree Renee. I mean, they were amazing. Their their yeah. talent has not slipped. They they were brilliant. Um, they they were sort of a brilliant bright light in a sea of <laughs> in a sea of crap. And I was like, why? My my childhood dreams had just been crushed. Yeah, that's awful. That's really rough. The last time I went to New York, I saw I was there for like two weeks and and saw something every day. And it was one of those trips where like the ones I thought were going to be really great were not so good, and the ones I wasn't think you know the ones I wasn't really that excited about were the ones mm-hmm. that kind of blew me away. I thought that's where you were going with that story. <laughs> so I definitely wish, went the other I wish way. It had been so. <laughs> yeah. I won't say the ones that I was disappointed by, but one of the ones I was really pleasantly surprised by was Young Frankenstein, the, the musical about that Mel Brooks did. It wasn't that yeah. I wasn't excited. You know, it was like the original cast. It had, um, I can't remember that guy's name ever, Roger Bart, I think is maybe his name. 
Um, yeah. But Sutton Foster was in it. Megan Mullally was in it. Uh, oh, oh nice. Uh, I can't remember the other one. And she's a legend. Andrea Martin was in it. She stole oh, the show. Holy oh. cow. She was incredible. Um, so it wasn't, I don't know. There was just something about it that I was like, Young Frankenstein, it's kind of, it's, it's very mainstream. I don't know. But it was fantastic. Like the energy behind it was just, like you couldn't help it get swept up in it. It was really good. So I, I love know. it when that happens. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we kind of got off there. That was I know. still the long tangent from whatever happened to Baby Jane. <laughs> uh, the know, other right? two, Sorry. no, that's fine. The other two that were listed under her in development that now no longer are, um, she was going to reunite with Robert De Niro for a movie called The Good House, which was going to be about a New England realtor hooking up with a, a with an old flame. So it's still listed under De Niro's page, but it's not under Meryl's page anymore. So she must have detached from it at some point. Yeah. And the other one was called uh, The Senator's Wife, which was an anti-NRA movie that the, the Weinsteins were producing. But like I said, I think they I think they produced Miss Sloan with Jessica Chastain. So I think oh. maybe, maybe it evolved. Maybe they took it off the or, table. Yeah, maybe they didn't want to do two of those. I don't know. Um. Anyway, so how about this? This is the one thing mm-hmm. I said, maybe prepare. Do you have a top five Meryl Streep movie list? I do. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so um, when you asked me this question, it, it first of all, she's made what, like 80 films, give yeah. or take, somewhere yeah. in there? there there's yeah. quite a few. And I, oh, yeah. the question for me is, you know, what are what are my favorite Meryl Streep performances versus what are my favorite Meryl Streep films? Because there right. is a difference. You know, yeah, not yeah, all the films absolutely. are stellar, even though she is. So my top five is not necessarily the greatest films, but they're the performances that that left an impact sure. on on me for whatever reason. So Kramer oh, yeah, versus Kramer. Kramer okay. versus Kramer is on there because it was my first Meryl Streep experience. And um uh out of Africa. Oh, okay. It's one of her more mainstream ones, but um I, I just equate it with my mother. My mother loved it so deeply and 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 the music from it that it's just sort of has a very sweet spot in 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 my history and I love it. Um postcards from the edge. Yeah. Um because I love comedic Meryl, especially mm-hmm. she's so well she's so talented and she does it more now. She she did a little more rarely, you know, when she was younger, but um with the writing on um, everything about that film is wonderful from beginning yep. to end, not just Meryl Streep's performance. Right. Um, heartburn. Ooh, okay. And and I think also it, it's something about the combination of the of, of the writer and and Meryl, Carrie, Carrie Fisher and Meryl in in Postcards from the Edge and and, and Nora Ephron with Heartburn. Something that yep. rings very true. I just find her so funny and real in that movie that it's got a place in my heart. Now this the I've listed what have I done three? I think that's three numbers. No four. I've got four. four. Yeah. So, you can do six if you want. Do you have like two there that you're want, trying to fight I've between? Got a choice. <laughs> you know, I, I Devil Wear Prada has to be on the list. Okay. I just think she's so magnificent in it, and you know, it's sort of a fluff kind of movie, but she's so brilliant. I just, you know, I want to be her. Yeah. <laughs> Hitting that film. Um, 
Yeah, and you know there are performances that that I worship, like Sophie's Choice, and yeah. uh, you know films like that. But in, in terms of films that really have a, a an enjoyable and nostalgic place in my heart, those are probably the five. That's a good list. That's a great yeah. list. I'm kind of interested. I'll give you mine here too. But I'm kind of interested yeah. to see like how they evolve through the course of this podcast. You know, if they're the same for both of us. At the end. Yeah, I'm you know? sure they will because there's so many of her films I haven't seen yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got two of the same. Actually, my number five and my number four are similar, same picks as yours. Kramer versus Kramer is my number five. I think that's just a great performance. Like, I I think there's just so much going on in that in that performance yeah. and that movie needs her. You know, it's really something. My number four yeah. is Postcards from the Edge. I have a real soft spot for that movie. I could really, like, make that my number one. That's probably the, my most, like, rewatchable Meryl Streep movie. I could watch that yeah. movie constantly. And we have to acknowledge Carrie Fisher's recent very sad passing. I know. I'm, she, um, she's one of my favorite authors. I read all of her books. You know, she wrote novels in the 90s, including Postcards mm-hmm. from the Edge. And then she kind of started doing very eclectic, very unique memoirs, you know, for somebody mm-hmm. who had um, who had electroshock therapy and couldn't remember very much. She, she yeah. came out with three or four different memoirs that are just really unique. Did you read The Princess Diarist? I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Okay. I usually get okay. hers on Audible because I like hearing okay. her voice reading them, so I haven't gotten around to that one yet, but I'm getting there. Have you? Um, no, I haven't. I really, I really want to. Um, but I love the idea of getting it on Audible. I would love to hear her read her own work. That, that would be, I mean, I love reading it, but that would be infinitely better. She's just so wonderful. Yeah, I've done the same. I have her, um, the Audible versions of Wishful Drinking and, um, oh, I can't remember the other one. So I can't remember the other memoir that she did. She's done at least, um, I, I, Princess Diaries, I think, is at least the third. Because, I mean, Postcards from the Edge is, in a way, memoirs, just as a novel. But, you know, right. You kind of have to read between the lines a little bit. But, um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's not really hard to do that. Um, no. So, so anyway, that that's just such a great movie, such a great performance. You get to hear her sing for one of the first times in one of her movies. You get to see just how good she is at, like, sarcastic humor and just, oh, mm-hmm. so good. Uh, my number three is The Hours. That, you know, I know that one is mm. kind of a, it's hard to take sometimes. It's a real sad movie, but there's just something, I don't know, gently uplifting to me about it, too. I don't know. I, I love it. How do you I'm feel so about excited. That? I'm so excited to revisit that one because I yeah. did see it at the time. And I um, I remember liking it. I think I was actually, I think I may have been in London. Oh, really? That could be. I wonder if I, I think so. I think I was in England when I saw that, and and I and I remember liking it, but I don't remember Meryl Streep's performance in it at all. The only person I really remember is Nicole Kidman. Really? And um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to revisiting that one. All three. I mean, and actually, it's got a fantastic supporting cast too. But the three leads are, I think, all three of them are fantastic. Really, really yeah. great. Julianne Moore is too. I mean, just all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm lo- I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm curious to to revisit it. And I I remember at the time I didn't quite connect with it. I think it may have been my you know my age and maturity. And mm. so I am yeah I'm very. I remember telling I people. Yeah, I remember telling 
people when that came out, you know, if it would come up in conversation and I'd say I saw it, they would say, how, is, how was it? And I would say, it's the best movie I ever saw. And people, I remember more than one person is like, really? Seems kind of dark. <laughs> you know, like there was kind of this reaction to it, like, oh, okay. Uh, my number two is Silkwood. I love Silkwood. I'm so excited for you to see Silkwood and talk about Silkwood. So it's excited. Just, I've obviously seen parts, but just not the whole thing. And, oh, yeah, I'm so very much looking forward to that. That, I, you know, she got nominated for that, but that one kind of lives in the shadow of Sophie's Choice, I think, because it came mm-hmm. right after Sophie's Choice. And so Silkwood, I have kind of a, I, I'm weirdly, like, defensive for that movie. Like, no, this one is just as good. It's just, you know, it's not as iconic a role, although it is relatively iconic. But, um, yeah. you know, Sophie's Choice is the movie, you know, and, and Silkwood is, is a little bit less than in that sense. But... So for whatever it's worth, and then Sophie's Choice, I had to put it as the number one. I know it's another one that just, it's a hard movie to get through. I remember I was it's young. It's so when beautiful. I, it's so good. I remember I was pretty young when I when I got it, and I was watching it, and I, you know, like put it in, and I was young enough that I still lived at home with my parents, and my uh, my mom saw what movie I was putting in, and she goes, oh, God, no, not that one. <laughs> like, you know, that, <laughs> we can't watch that. No, too sad. Uh, but, you know, it's just, there's no other movie like it. It's one of the most iconic film performances of all time. It's just, there's no, I, I've never seen anybody be better than that. There, There is no movie like it. Uh, and it, it. Her performance and the movie itself are just so completely unique and and phenomenal. I, I, yeah. I have a difficult time not putting that on my list as well, just because, well, those reasons. She's just, yeah. Wow. Well, maybe we'll yeah. be towards the end. That one is, is weirdly like. I hope we get to um, Kramer versus Kramer soon. I hope we do Silkwood soon. I'm excited for you to see that one. But Sophie's mm-hmm. Choice, it, they're like, I, we'll have to rev ourselves up, or I'll have to rev myself up. Maybe we make that, that our too. last one. Yeah, we've got to build to that <laughs> one because it is a commitment to do that one. But um, well, let's let's do one other thing. I kind of found this. Oh, actually, two mm-hmm. other real quick segments, though. Uh, sure. One of them was my idea. One of them was your idea from way back when. You probably won't remember it, but it was your idea. Um, <laughs> I don't think I do. My, the my idea one was I wanted to bring up for each episode that we do with Meryl um, a movie or two that she was almost in that, for whatever oh, reason, yeah. went to somebody else. So the two, it repeats from last time, so you might remember these. But she almost was uh, the Glenn Close part in Fatal Attraction. Actually, uh, it, which is yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't even. No, I mean she would be brilliant. I'm sure. I think um, uh, again, <laughs> Glenn Glenn Close has really cornered the market on that sort of manic insanity that <laughs> I can't imagine anybody else in the role. Although I think this is the movie that did that. I don't think she had yeah, done it that is. before. Yeah, this I think movie. you're right. Yeah, absolutely. But, but so if you go. If you read up um, um, Fatal Attraction, it's not just Meryl and Glenn that were up for this. There's like every, there's a list of literally, you know, 70, 80 actresses. Basically, everybody who was working in the 80s was considered for the movie. But I did read at one point that Meryl Streep turned it down, which implies that at some point she was offered it. It wasn't just she was in consideration, she offered it. And I also read that, this is just bizarre that this kind of information is public knowledge, but um, it, it, it 
says at some point, and again, it's the Internet, too, so you don't even know if it's true, but that Glenn Close was the fourth choice to, to really? be in that movie. Yeah. I know Barbara Hershey was one of the other choices. I can't remember who the other ones were. But, you know, Glenn Close was Amazing. established by this point, but she wasn't, you know, she wasn't yeah. quite iconic yet, as Fatal Attraction would actually probably be the thing that tipped her into that category. But, yeah, really interesting that it went that way. I think it kind of worked out for everybody. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh man! I, I think what. our I think our audiences should have a, a drinking game for every time we say the name Glenn Close on the podcast because I think I think she'll be mentioned a lot. I think she will be too. That's quite funny. Yeah, definitely don't have a drinking game where we say Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that one you won't survive. But yeah, um, no. The other one that I thought was kind of interesting and worth bringing up, this is an earlier one, and this kind of is a more well-known thing because there was a, a meme that was being passed around social media about it about a year or so ago when we first talked, was um, she was originally considered for King Kong, the 1970 oh, yes. one. That whole that went to Jessica Lange. But the, the famous story, of course, is that Meryl Streep was told she wasn't pretty enough for this part. So I just um, I I I was watching Graham Norton clips on YouTube as you do, and um, she was she was on Graham Norton with uh, I think maybe Mark Ruffalo and and James McAvoy, and she was telling that story. And I guess oh, really? I guess yeah I guess Dino De Laurentiis actually spoke in Italian to his son. His son had seen her in a play. On, uh, in New York, and you know, was very proud to bring in the, the young new actress for his dad to see for consideration for King Kong. And he, he said, um, I can't remember what he said. He said something like, um, you know, Debrutto, why'd you bring this ugly girl to me? Well, she she spoke Italian. Jesus. And so she spoke back to him in Italian. She's like, Well, I'm so sorry, I'm not attractive enough. And. Uh, <laughs> And oh. oh man, the way she talks about an interview—I mean, it's still just absolutely disgusting. She's, she's like, "I'm so sorry, I'm not attractive enough to be in King Kong." Yeah, she's. <laughs> I'm, I'm not attractive enough to play opposite a fictional ape, for God's sake. You know. You know what blows wow. my mind is that that she's one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and and it makes you it really makes you wonder um, what people are not seeing, you know, what they're closing their eyes to when they look at somebody like Meryl Streep because I, I mean she was stunning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing not beautiful enough. And and you know what's interesting to me is that that Jessica Lange was right. But I don't. They, they have a similar look in a way. They have a very similar look, very. Yeah. So I was like, so why? It's very curious to me. It's like, what went through, you know, De Laurentiis' head that that this actress isn't, but this one is. Fascinating. That's crazy. To me. I'm glad yeah. you told that story. I remember when we talked about this last time. The thing I've always wondered about that story is how how somebody could be told that in an audition because it was very clear that, that Meryl Streep knew the reason that was because she was told by somebody that she wasn't attractive enough. And right. I remember thinking, you know, 
there are a million yeah. ways for casting directors or directors or whatever else to say, we're going in another direction or whatever, you know, to let you down. So the fact that she was told that that was the reason seemed so cold and so uh, hateful. I mean, it just seemed brutal. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess it doesn't make it any better that, you know, he was saying it in a foreign language to her and she just happened to speak it. But I don't know. There is something a little bit refreshing, maybe, if you're really, really trying to give this asshole a little bit of credit. Um, yeah. You know, that at least he didn't say it to her face knowingly. But, man, I mean, that certainly doesn't excuse it. That's just a No, no. But yeah. I think so. The other podcast that I do is, is about Joni Mitchell, who's, of course, another female artist and on the music side of things. And it's been really interesting in that podcast because it's as much about Joni Mitchell's work and other songwriters' work as it is about, like, gender roles and sexism in the music mm-hmm. industry in, like, the 70s and 80s in particular. And I think we're going to probably be talking about I think that. It's going to come up a lot. Too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it's such a, it's such a, um, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's such a hot topic right now. People right. are actually really, truly starting to get some momentum and talking about it openly, which is necessary. Yep, yeah. it is a good thing, very much a, a good thing. Same way that, you know, a lot of the, the racial issues, the Oscars so white and everything, you know, coming to the forefront, yeah. it's a good thing. We, these are conversations we need to have. So, um, okay, so those, that's that segment, the, the Meryl was almost in segment. And again, with King Kong, I think it worked out for everybody because Meryl yes. got to do the deer hunter and just laying got to do King Kong. And, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't have been a positive experience for Meryl to do that movie if that was who she was working for. And just hopefully it wasn't horrible for Jessica Lange. And, you know, if she hadn't done Deer Hunter, she wouldn't have gotten Kramer versus Kramer. Right. Yeah. There's a trajectory of these things. Yeah. Fascinating. So the last segment, and this is a real quickie, is this is is your idea last time. Do tell. I don't remember. (laughs) Was the six degrees of Meryl Streep thing. Do you remember this? Yes. You have the idea that every week we should come up with somebody and have whoever our audience is, you know, come up with an answer. So we we have a, an email address that's been sitting there doing nothing for over a year. It's oh Meryl my Street, gosh! It has it's done nothing. It's Meryl Street Podcast at Gmail dot com. So if you have an answer to this six degrees thing, everybody knows the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know, you try to connect. Yeah two different actors, or an actor or actress or writer or director or whatever, to Kevin Bacon using, well, this person worked with this person and that person worked with Kevin Bacon in as few steps as possible. So the one we agreed on last time, I let's just start with this one too, unless you have a better idea, was uh, Kira Knightley, which was a really random choice, but we may as well. <laughs> it's very random. I mean, it kind of, you know, <laughs> prestige actresses, okay. Yeah. I like Kira Knightley. I think she's great. Um, there are her. a few, there are a few things that come immediately into my head. I would, I would be able to solve this in like two steps, really quickly. Yeah. So that's that's my fear is that it might be too easy. But we'll start. I feel like we need we to can... pick somebody else, like you know, Sylvester Stallone. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, let's do that. Our audience now has the choice. That one is good. <laughs> that's a thinker. I still feel like that's doable, though, because Sylvester Stallone has, you know, worked with enough people. Actually, I have one. I have one, but I'll tell you next time. I can get that one into into steps two. Oh, wow. I can. I'll tell you. I'm I'm going to work on stuff, yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's that's good for our first podcast. We've been talking a while. This is a lot of you know information now, and it, we, there I were know. a couple other questions that I didn't get to, so we'll save those for another time. Okay. Yeah, and you know, feel free to chop chop. <laughs> so, <laughs> what you need to. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to announce what our first movie is that we're going to be yeah. the first one we're doing? Yeah, so we are not going in order of her career. We thought it would be more fun to skip around. It's sort of what suited our fancy. Our first film out the gate is, is uh, I think, one of her more ambitious films, Adaptation. Mm-hmm. And we're not going alphabetically either. As, no. You know, that, that might be what people think with Adaptation, but that's not the thing. We, we truly are going to skip around. There are a lot of reasons we need to skip around. It's for our own sake. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's just certain things we'll have access to. I like it that I actually, I think I own pretty much everything of Merrill's on DVD at this point, except, you know, the the one that's going to be really hard for us to do is a movie she did right after The Deer Hunter called The Seduction of Joe Tynan. That was Alan um, Alda. That uh-huh. one's going to be really hard to find. So we're going to have to work hard to get that one. But everything else I think I have. So... Okay. It, it'll be yeah, kind of, the part of the part of the adventure of the podcast will be talking about how we track down the film. <laughs> right. Most of them are on DVD, so if you don't mind, you know, buying a cheap copy on Amazon every once in a while for you know a couple bucks, that's oh, that's yeah. probably the way you're going to have to go for some of these anyway. Oh, some yeah. of them will be on the services Prime and Netflix and whatever, but not a ton of them. So it'll be an adventure. But we'll start with adaptation, which should be easy enough for people to find. And, uh, yeah, the Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep, Chris Cooper, Spike Jones movie. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to see it again. It's been a long time. I don't remember much about it, except that, again, I liked it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. I'm excited to watch it again. So, well, thanks so much, Meryl. I'm so glad we're doing this for real, for real. Now this is me too. Exciting. I know, right? It's finally we we come full circle, Zach. We have <laughs> making our first <laughs> podcast. So we'll sign off now for our podcast listeners, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, Bye. cool.